Hey everyone, welcome back to Grappling with Popular Belief. It's been a little while since I recorded and I apologize for my absence. I kind of started the new year in a little bit of a slump and then uh, I had a loss of someone very close to me. So um, I have been grieving and dealing with all kinds of stuff, but here I am ready to record some more episodes. So previously I was on a trajectory of discussing human development. I started with talking about early infancy and attachment theory with a little side of perinatal mental health. Then I transitioned to early childhood and talking to children about mental health. And now I am going to unravel a topic that I have found interesting in the last couple of years the overwhelming wave of depression, anxiety, and suicide rates that we've seen skyrocket for our adolescents in the last couple of decades. I want to point out here, before I get too deep into this, that I'm not talking about in the last year since the COVID pandemic started. I think that ultimately it will be super beneficial to look at the trends and see how This pandemic has affected the mental health of children, adolescents, adults, pretty much everyone. But right now, I'm not going to dig into that. So what do I mean when I say adolescence? Psychologists and other human service professionals have really started to consider that what seemed to be an adolescent a long time ago looks a lot different today. Historically, we would consider people in the age group of around 12 to 18 years old to be adolescents. After that, they were thought to be adults, right? You turn 18, you're an adult, time to do all the grown-up things. It likely doesn't come as a surprise to you that these categories are shifting. One of the big factors in the way that we categorize this age group is the fact that we've come to realize that our brain continues to develop well into our early to mid-20s, even a little bit after that. It's kind of crazy, right? So we are still kind of functioning in many of the ways that adolescents are functioning into our mid-20s. When you talk to people who work in psychology or with youth about adolescent populations, you might hear that they are broken into categories now. I've heard it broken into early, middle, and late adolescents, as well as just regular adolescents and late adolescents. Late adolescents being those early 20s. Now, these are just words categorizing the ages, though, right? We love to put things in categories, and it helps us think about things a little bit more simply. What I think is most important is what is happening in the brain during this time. The last part of the brain to develop is the prefrontal cortex. This is the area where a lot of decision-making is happening. This is the part of the brain where impulse control happens, executive functioning or making plans and following through with them, following rules, making decisions, you know, all those things that we are really not that great at when we're teenagers. (laughs) Along with what is physically going on in our biological development, I also like to think about the behaviors and general ways of thinking that are happening. For teenagers and even for folks in their early 20s, there is a big important thing happening where we are forming our identities. Identity. Who we are. It's a big task to figure out and it can be daunting, confusing, and very emotional. 
And that's not even considering all of the funky hormone and body changes that are going on. But when we think of forming our identity, part of what is happening here is one of my favorite terms that we talk about in human development, individuation. This term was originally coined by the infamous Carl Jung, who was one of the pioneers of psychoanalysis. There is a whole lot to talk about in this area, and I don't want to bore you with a textbook of information about this topic. So I'll say that the main idea with individuation is that we experience two major experiences of it during our human development. The first time is when we are young and we start to build who we are in the context of a close-knit family system. We are still dependent on the family system, but we do begin to learn that we can veer away from our folks a little bit and not burst into flames and disappear into a big black abyss. The second time this happens is in adolescence. And during this time, we are actually starting to form our own identity as almost adults. We are starting to truly think about who we are and who we will be as we leave the family system. During both experiences of individuation, it is crucial to have a safe, supportive, welcoming family structure that you feel that you can return home to. This may seem a lot more obvious for someone who's in their early childhood and just starting to figure out that there are some decisions that they can make and some autonomy that they can have and maybe a little less obvious for people who are adolescents. But it's still really important as you're becoming independent and feeling like you can conquer the world all on your own that you have a person or a couple people that you can return to because you will run into roadblocks. As we all know, as an adolescent in your early 20s, in your teenage years, there's always going to be challenging things that we have to grapple with. We are going to have the most successful time during this stage of development if we have that safe foundation that we can return to when we need that support. So why do I bring all this up? I think that it's an important context to think of adolescence in. When we think about some of these things that are increasing over time, like depression, anxiety, and suicide rates, we can't really consider those things without looking at the full picture of what it's like to be an adolescent and what different things are going on in our brains and our bodies and in our environments. We are especially vulnerable when we are in this age group. We're putting ourselves out there to peers. We're looking for acceptance. We might be experimenting with our sexuality. Just a plethora of chaos, basically. (laughs) So even without considering some of the added factors that I'm going to talk about, it isn't too surprising to think that being a teenager and into your early 20s would be a time that could bring along some anxiety and depression with the presence of body changes, with the process of establishing who you are in the world, while also hopefully having a safe place to return to, which as we all know, not everyone has this as they figure themselves out. There's just a lot happening here. But these issues haven't always been around. The idea of individuation has been around since like around 1960, But what has changed over time to affect these numbers and to create this increase in mental health challenges? I reached out to some people as I started working on this episode. 
which was probably like two months ago now, <laughs> I had a few interesting responses that people felt might be contributing to our increases that we're seeing in mental health issues. I actually really love the variety of hypotheses that y'all sent over to me. Some people, of course, mentioned the pandemic, which, as I mentioned before, we aren't going to dig into that too much, but absolutely, that is absolutely contributing to challenges for people and their mental health. Some of the other things that people brought up were nutrition, lack of getting outdoors and lack of sunlight, lack of personal interaction and connection, and technology. These were great answers, and I love that so many of my listeners are always looking at this big picture and realizing all of the different parts of our lives that really need to come together nicely in order to form wellness. To look at some specific numbers, we're going to look at some data from the CDC. The CDC has declared suicide to be the second leading cause of death for folks aged 15 to 19 the second leading cause. So that comes only after accidents. I want you to think about your experience in high school. Imagine yourself back in that old comfortable school desk and remember looking around at the students around you. Maybe some of them are your friends. Maybe some of them are just people that have been in school with you for years. In a classroom of 30 of those students slouching over in their desks and taking notes or whatever they're doing, five of those students will seriously consider suicide. In some of the literature published by the CDC, they talk about findings in which almost 30% of high school students in the U.S. reported feeling sad or hopeless most days out of the week during a two-week period. Friends, this information is from before the pandemic. I can't even imagine what this looks like now when we're considering the overbearing effects of COVID and how that's affecting our youth's mental health. Another thing to think about too is when we experience mental health challenges as adults, these often present themselves in adolescence. So on top of all the weird, awkward stuff that we're going through when we're in that age category, we might also be experiencing the onset of a serious mental health disorder. So what's actually causing these higher numbers, especially since we're not looking at the effects of the pandemic right now? The American Psychological Association and the University of Michigan have published some research on this area. I learned about it in a really awesome training that I went to a couple of years ago. And ever since I went to that training, I've been really interested in this phenomenon. This training was really heavily focused on our youth's decrease in empathy that we have seen over time, but they also related these issues to the increase in depression, anxiety, and suicidal behavior that we've been seeing. So there were three main factors that they talked about. One of the big players in creating anxiety in adolescence was our society's drive towards perfectionism. More than ever in the last couple of decades, we've seen a huge push of our children to achieve high standardized test scores, be involved in several extracurricular activities, and complete huge amounts of homework while also trying to create social relationships and be an engaged family member. That's a lot for anyone. Kids have a lot on their plates. I was working in a high school a couple of years back, and I remember I was meeting with a student who was talking about their weekly regimen. 
They were in robotics and band, and they also played a sport. So this student was really anxious about missing homework because they would get back from their activities around 9 o'clock p.m. So they would barely have time to eat dinner half the time, and then they would start doing their homework after or while eating, and sometimes they would fall asleep while trying to get their homework done. It was really sad to hear about this person trying to manage all of these different things and also try to impress everyone in their life, like their families and their teachers, and just try to achieve these standards that just aren't realistic for anyone. As someone who didn't do any extracurriculars in high school, I was pretty baffled. Of course, don't get me wrong here, these activities are amazing opportunities for kiddos. I am 100% not saying that you shouldn't put your kids in extracurriculars. Please hear me there. (laughs) However, no one can function having all of their time occupied by structured, task-saturated activities. We all need a healthy balance. I've actually noticed that more people are talking about this and seeming to understand that this balance is important now that the pandemic has hit and forced a lot of us to slow down and spend more time with family. Another big factor that was discussed in this training that I went to, which falls along nicely after my last point, is the decrease in unstructured playtime. Our world is so hyper-focused on making everything planned and structured and organized that we often shy away from engaging in unstructured time. It's interesting because when we talk about things that help children thrive, Routine and structure is definitely an important piece. Again, this is where finding a healthy balance is super important. Kids do need to have that routine and structure in order to feel less anxiety and to feel like they know what is expected of them. Kids also need time to do things with their friends that isn't training to beat the other team or following musical notes on a sheet of paper. That unstructured time is crucial for their social development. The third thing that's a big obvious one that I think everyone could guess and probably thought of as soon as I published this episode is technology and smartphones. I know I sound like a broken record here, but again, this is yet another area to think about balance. Technology is, of course, an incredible tool. It's allowed a lot of us to keep jobs and keep kids in schools for the last year. It helps us connect with loved ones that are far away. And it has made so many parts of life more convenient and enjoyable. But remember when I was talking about the brain? The part of the brain that is developing when we are teenagers is not that great at knowing when to put the phone down. (laughs) One of the hypotheses here is that Kids are up late on their phones, they get sucked in, can't put the phone down, so then they are impacting their sleep. We all know how important sleep is to our brain function. I could probably do a whole episode on sleep because of how fascinating it is and about all the important things that it does for our brains and our bodies, and I've been especially passionate about this for the last year because I've been suffering with insomnia myself. (laughs) Anyway, when someone's up late on their phone, whether it's a kid or an adult, reading through social media, often a lot of the content that they're consuming 
is not the most positive. If you've been on TikTok, you know how painfully cruel people can be when they have that invisible shield of the internet making them feel protected. So now, consider a person who is sleep-deprived, filling their brain with general negativity, and then starts to get cyberbullied at 3 a.m., especially when it's someone who is just trying to form their identity and find their place in the world. Chances are they aren't going to get any sleep at this point because now they're anxious and they're worried and they're experiencing probably some trauma response symptoms in their bodies. And then if they're going to go to school the next day, which most likely they are, they're going to feel like crap physically and emotionally. I talk about this in the context of kids, but honestly, this is important for adults too. It's always a good idea to set those boundaries around social media and technology. Try to wind down for an hour or two before bed. Doing that as a parent is even better because it models those healthy moderating behaviors to the young ones in your life. Those are some of the big factors that some researchers are suggesting are playing an impact on the increase we've seen over the last couple of decades. Now, kind of dark stuff. What's the positive? What can we do to help? Think about what I said before about balance. One piece that I actually forgot to mention about the research is that teenagers often report that one of their sources of anxiety is feeling as though they are feeling intense pressures from their parents, other family members, and people at school to achieve. Try to be aware of this and recognize that we should be allowing our kiddos time to rest and time to do things that are fulfilling for them. Remember that balance is important. Adolescents almost always tell their friends when they are thinking about suicide. What does this mean as a parent, as an educator, as an aunt or uncle or cousin or friend? (laughs) You might be thinking, duh, Alyssa, have open and honest conversations about mental health with children. Create safe spaces for them to talk about their feelings and about their difficulties. Yes, yes, so much yes. Love all of that. It's also important to let them know that suicide is a serious topic. Sometimes it may seem like someone who is an adolescent is looking for attention in a maladaptive way when they're talking about suicide. And this may feel frustrating for you, especially if it's your child or your child's friend and you don't want your child to start doing that kind of stuff either. Hey, that frustration is valid. It's always hard when someone is feeling something and they aren't able to communicate that. This happens in romantic relationships all the time. Something that's important to think of here, though, is if a kid is talking about suicide, whether or not they are seriously considering it, which a lot of the times they actually are, there is likely an unmet need, something going on that they need help with. Helping your children understand that will help them understand that if they have a friend talking about this stuff, they really need to take it seriously and maybe even try to get some help for them. Another thing to keep in mind is that you may want your child to talk to you if they have an issue, and I totally respect that. I applaud you for having that kind of bond with your child and wanting them to come to you with their problems and their feelings. In addition to letting them know that you have an open door and that they can come and share things with you anytime they want, ask your kids if they have someone that they can talk to. 
Hopefully they have friends they can talk to. And it's also good to see if there are other adults in their lives, especially at school or during their extracurriculars, that they can go and chat with if they have a problem. Think of how often kids are actually at school. It is a huge portion of their days and their weeks, and there's a strong chance that if they're struggling with something, it might happen at school or they might get triggered at school or there might be a time that they just really need that support during the school day. For a lot of people, that person might be their coach or a teacher that they have a good connection with, or maybe there's another individual like a paraprofessional or something like that that the child feels that they can chat with if needed. Another thing to invite your kids to explore is who are the mental health supports in their school? Ask them if they know where to find them. Ask them if they have met them. Encourage them to just stop by and introduce themselves. I know this may seem a little silly, especially if your kid is like the happiest kid ever and suggesting this to your kid might bring about a lot of eye rolls or stuff like that, but encouraging them to make that first step to even just know that there is a safe place that they can go to can be such a big protective factor for them. Even if your kid never needs to access them for their own mental health, it could help them save a friend's life, knowing where to bring them or knowing where to suggest that they go if they're struggling. This is also why I bring up the idea of having your child think about the adults at their building that they can talk to. Even if that trusted adult is not a mental health professional, they are a mandated reporter. So if your child tells them that they are thinking about suicide, it is their responsibility to help connect them with the proper resources and help them get support if they need it. They can also just make a connection between the child and the mental health provider in the school. If you are worried about a loved one in suicide, here are some warning signs to keep an eye out for when it comes to suicide. Suicide threats, giving away personal belongings or writing up a will, sudden changes in mood or behavior, isolating, not taking care of themselves, showing lack of interest in previously enjoyed activities, and increased substance abuse. Of course, if your child has been talking about suicide, it's a really good idea to get some help. You can contact a crisis line, you can bring your child to the closest ER, or if someone is threatening or attempting suicide, of course, always call 911. It's always a good idea to know how to access your local crisis lines, and there's also a crisis text line that you can use, which is 741-741, and you just text HOME to it. It's also not a bad idea, and I'm definitely biased here as a mental health professional who works with children, but it's not a bad idea to get your child set up with a therapist. It may feel like, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with my child, or I don't want them to go to therapy. That means they're crazy, and their friends are going to make fun of them, or things like that. But having that outlet and having someone to provide that support as they're figuring out this very complicated part of life, it can really help them have a stronger emotional development through these difficult times. And in addition to trying to do this stuff for your child, it's always a good idea to make sure you're taking care of yourself as well. Use your supports, 
encourage the young people in your life to do the same. Model good self-care and model good emotional communication. I know sometimes this stuff feels weird and different and maybe not what we've always been taught, but it's important and it really helps. And just one more thing before I finish, I do want to give a shout out to one of my favorite psychologists that wrote a couple of really great books and she also does a really awesome podcast about parenting. Uh, The psychologist is Lisa Damore, that's D-A-M-O-U-R, and her book that she wrote about adolescence is called Under Pressure, and it's a super good book, whether you're a parent or really for anyone, because it does a really great job of describing anxiety and how we develop it in our younger years and then uh, how it kind of persists throughout our lives. Uh, But definitely check out her books and check out her podcast. Her podcast is Ask Lisa. Okie dokie, friends. I think I'm ready to stop talking at you now. (laughs) Next month, I will be discussing a very controversial topic, addiction as a disease. I've been really looking forward to talking about this topic. It's one of the ones that I've been excited about since I started making this podcast. So I think it's going to be a really great episode I am most likely going to have a guest speaker come on here to join me, which I'm really excited about. So I hope that you will tune in for that episode and I will talk to you soon.